This week, it's a shark attack. We welcome Robert Herjavec, CEO of Ciderez and executive producer of the Emmy award-winning hit show Shark Tank to discuss the booming business of cybersecurity. In the leadership and communication section, boards looking to CEOs, not CIOs, to lead digital innovations. Compensation for cybersecurity leaders is on the rise. Three cloud security posture questions CISOs should answer and more. Business Security Weekly starts now. This is Security Weekly for security professionals by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where we explore the business of security to improve the security of business. Your trusted source for actionable insights on leadership, communication, and innovation. Get ready for Business Security Weekly. Managing and protecting the world's grueling number of endpoints, enabling Tanium's customers to see, control, and protect every endpoint everywhere. Tanium's mission is to provide certainty in uncertain times with the industry's only converged endpoint management. Trusted by the U.S. military and the majority of the Fortune 100, today, Tanium helps manage and protect nearly 30 million endpoints. Tanium, the power of certainty. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Tanium to learn more. Cybercriminals are working overtime. Last year in the fourth quarter alone, phishing attacks disguised as COVID testing information increased by 521%. Barracuda has identified 13 types of email threats and how cybercriminals use them to steal money from your company or personal information from your employees and customers. Find out about the 13 email threat types and how Barracuda can provide complete email protection for your teams, your customers, and your reputation. Get your free ebook at securityweekly.com forward slash Barracuda. That's securityweekly.com forward slash Barracuda. Welcome to Business Security Weekly. This is episode number 282, recorded October 24th, 2022. I am your host, Matt Alderman. Joining remotely are my co-hosts this week. First, Mr. Jason Albuquerque. Hey, Jason. Matt, how are you doing? What a crazy weekend in the NFL, huh? We had uh, your, your teams didn't do so well, but my Patriots are tonight, so we'll see how we're doing with our third string quarterback. So, hey, zappy nation these days. Yeah, seven weeks in, and here's things we still know. The Browns and the Broncos are not playing good football, period. (laughs) (laughs) Also joining again this week, Mr. Tyler Robinson. Welcome, Tyler. Thanks, Matt. Glad to be here. You don't root for the Broncos, do you, up there in Idaho? We don't have a football team, Matt. I I root for whatever football is happening on TV. (laughs) Okay. The European football. World Cup's coming up, so. Got it. There you go. Yeah, a soccer man. Do you have a specific guest or topic that you want us to cover on one of the shows? Submit your suggestions for guests by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash guests and completing the form. We review suggestions monthly and we'll reach out to you once reviewed. Robert Herjavec, CEO of Ciderez, is a globally recognized motivational business and cybersecurity leader. For the last 14 years, Robert has been well-known as one of the sharks and executive producer of the Emmy award-winning hit show Shark Tank. He is a successful best-selling author and has appeared on stage with crowds from 50 to 20,000 people and with luminaries such as Tony Robbins and Oprah. Robert, welcome to Business Security Weekly. Matt, thank you for having me. My claim to fame is I was the I was the filler in the Oprah and Jessica Alba sandwich. 
<laughs> so Jessica Alba did this event where she spoke in the morning and Oprah spoke in the afternoon and I was the lunchtime speaker. I will let you guys guess who, which of those three, nobody attended. <laughs> let me guess. The lunch session? <laughs> shocking. Shocking. I'm like, why is there nobody here? I'm speaking. But uh, Matt, it's actually Sideris. Oh, Sideris. Oh, and it stands for Cyber Defense and Response. It's what we do. It is. So, yes. Kind of a nifty name. Thank you for having me. Hello, Jason. Hello, Tyler. Nice to meet you, Robert. Nice, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Guys. It is awesome to have you on. Um, last week, we did what I call my security money show. So for the past four years, I've been tracking the cybersecurity market. I actually created what I call the Security Weekly 25 Index. So I've been tracking the top 25 pure play cybersecurity companies, right? So I had requirements when I built this index four years ago. Uh, you had to be a pure play in cyber. So Cisco's not on the list, right? It's funny. So I was gonna, I went to a charity dinner the other night and I happened to be sitting at a table it was like this big fancy charity dinner put on by like George Clooney and his wife. And somehow I was a very minor celebrity. So I sat at a table with these big hunches from Cisco. And so I sit down with them and I was like, hi, what do you guys do? And he's like, oh, I'm a security guy. And they're like, oh, who are you guys with? And they said, well, we're Cisco. So I said, do you think Cisco's going to get in the security business one day? <laughs> it was much funnier to me than it was to anybody else at the table. Let me just say, I will not be getting a Cisco Christmas card anytime soon. <laughs> the amazing. other one, by the way, that's not on the list is Oracle, who also thinks they're a cybersecurity company. But what? Oh, come on. Yeah. Why, would, why would Oracle? Oh, because they have a 30-year-old uh -huh. identity product that people use and think they've gone to hell because they have to continue to use it? Got it. That, yeah. That's, that's accurate. So, so those, <laughs> yeah, exactly right. That's why I had to set the criteria, right? That's why they're not Got on my it. index. But we were going through last week. We're, you know, it's been crazy in the market a little bit, right? You know, Toma Bravo has right. taken three identity players out of the market in the last two quarters. Sailpoint, Ping, and then Forge Rock. Um, no before uh, just is coming out of the market. They just approved the Vista equity stuff. And as I was going through and updating my index, because every time a company goes public and then private, I have to make a switch in my index, right? I have to rebalance my index. I was going through the list. I'm like, after no before and Forge Rock come out, there's not that many cybersecurity standalone public companies left in the industry. I'm just curious, like, from your vantage point and your view, like, is this a good thing for the industry? <laughs> Isn't it a good thing? Because, I've, you know, we had this great momentum, 18, 19, 20, of getting companies into the market. But now we're seeing them come out, and I'm not seeing new companies come into the public markets. So is your index only based on public companies, Matt? Yeah. Right now, I've only been doing it based on the public companies because I can get access Got to it. the data, right? So... Yeah, so great question. So obviously, I'm deeply invested in this market for a bunch of reasons, um, partly because I just love it. I mean, I, you know, even before I even had a little bit of money, I, I've been doing cyber since I was 21. So love it, speaks to me uh, deep in my soul. I think there's a couple of things happening. That's why I should about the public. I think it's becoming harder to go public. I think... 
one of the things we've learned over the last while is there's been a real alignment between public markets and private markets. There's too much cash in the private markets. The equity companies have raised more money than anybody, and they've been super successful. So if you think about it, if you were an equity firm and you basically invest at the rate of the market, you look great. And when you look great to your investors, guess what your investors do? They give you even more money. And eventually you need liquidity and everybody goes public and everything's wonderful. In the last six months, the entire world has completely changed. And the biggest change hasn't been inflation, hasn't been the macro component. It's been profitability. So what people don't talk about is inflation is going up and the world is changing. The credit markets have basically stopped. If you don't have a path to profitability, it's getting really, really hard to raise money. And if we're being honest, many of these companies, whether they're good or not, went public and raised money based on the premise somebody else will give them more money in the space that we play as an example managed security we're the only company that makes money a year and a half ago when i did my deal with apac we sold a majority stake to apac's big equity firm one of the things i was really proud of was that we made money i own 100 percent of my business i mean i didn't make it for the investors, I made it so if we didn't make money, we would go bankrupt. So it was really important not to go bankrupt. That's why we were profitable, because we have no outside investors except me. Nobody cared. We had 20 equity firms go through our deck. When I got to the point that I was so proud of about how much money we made, guess what every one of them said? Oh, we don't care. Skip through that. Today, if you're not profitable, you're going to have a very, very difficult time raising money. So I think you're going to see a contraction, but that doesn't mean there aren't many, many, many great private companies out there in Israel, in Canada, in San Francisco, and everywhere in the U.S. that are starting. I think they're just going to be smaller for a while. That's kind of my view of the market. Does does that correction... I was going to say, does that correction lend itself to problems where all of the big players that had all the money and were leveraging that capital to invest in all these places, we have that scale at all costs that we've now shifted to a smart scaling uh, market, which has corrected and been a good thing. But does that lend itself to not allowing innovation and allowing those big players like we've seen to pick up like three identity providers and take some of the innovation off the market? So fantastic question, Tyler. So who the hell knows, right? Like, is this state... So, so let, let's look at just the identity market in and of itself. If I wasn't in the managed security business and I had to start a company yesterday, I would have started an identity company. If you look at the state of identity in the world today, you've got the... I know we were joking around about Oracle, but everything we said is true. And then you've got people like compute. You have very old legacy-based systems that are just way too complex, don't really work in the face of the lack of the perimeter, and identity is every employee. So super fast-growing market, super critical, right? Like if I had a dollar to spend, I would spend identity. 
but pretty soon, meaning even the new players, the sale points, the forge rocks, the octas of the world, highly complex. I don't think any of us in this call have ever met somebody who bought an identity solution, started on time, finished on time, and said, that was easy. You know, I always jokingly tell customers, identity is the SAP of the security world. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. The projects never end. Now, as a business guy who owns an identity company, I'm not complaining. But I think we would all agree there needed to be some level of simplicity. Do I buy one solution for provisioning and then another solution for, you know, um, privilege access and then another, like, like there's so many little niches of the identity business which shouldn't exist in a relatively small market. So I think on the first point, consolidating some of those players will be goodness because they'll make the rollout of the technologies faster. Now, to your second part, does that kill innovation? I think for a short period of time it does because it's harder. Like I'm, you know, we're a big managed services provider. I'm highly confident there isn't somebody starting a business in their basement that I'm going to worry about in the next two to three years. They're not going to be able to raise the money. They're not going to be able to get the scale. But I think like everything, everything has a season. There's somebody while we're talking here, inventing somebody, something brilliant in their basement. And it's going to take a while for it to get to market. I think we've been spoiled for the last 15 years, but being able to invent something, get it to market, get it to scale and get to liquidity really, really quickly. I just think it's going to take longer. So, so Robert, to that point, what, what are some recommendations for businesses that business leaders that are out there today that kind of just focused on that, that growth initiative, right? Where they weren't necessarily focused on EBITDA or profit. How do they survive? Right. What, what, what's some recommendations you can give them to kind of shift that focus now? Because, you know, a sister company of mine uh, is one of the largest privately held accounting firms and they have an M&A division. And for a year now, they've been saying, you know, in a merger acquisition, if you want to set yourself up, start focusing on EBITDA, start focusing on profit. Like they've been saying that for a good while now. How, how, what's some advice you can give business leaders to make that shift now? Well, I love the words that you're using, Jason, which is survive. And I, I, I'm a highly optimistic guy. I mean, I wake up with a smile on my face 99% of the days. The other 1%, my dog peed on the carpet, my wife's <laughs> mad at me. I mean, you know, it's just normal life stuff. Yeah. But I've been using the word survive for a long time. I, uh, to me, there's a storm brewing, and the companies that survive are the ones that get ahead of the storm. Mm-hmm. So, and I think we're seeing that. Look at Meta, look at Google. They're using words that in some cases they never use, like layoff. Yeah. I'm not suggesting there, there should be layoffs in the security business because then the macro factors are really good. But if you don't have a path to profitability, you're, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Not that there isn't going to be demand, but I think the demand is going to slow. I don't think cybersecurity budgets are declining, but they may not be growing at the same rate. 
and the valuations will not be growing at the same rate. So I think, I think budget, you've got to right, Robert? I mean, yeah. they're going to start scrutinizing budgets more. I mean, when I start hearing leaders from Microsoft, from Google, from Meta saying things like economies of scale, consolidation of services, do more with less, that tells me what's coming, right? I mean, they're all well, punching. You know. Well, I think we'll have to be careful with that because there's two sides to that. Yes, there's a rationalization coming 100%. But I think you have to disassociate funding from mm -hmm. demand. So if you're a business that needs funding and you're assuming you're just going to raise more money because you've got a growth rate in there, that's where you're going to get in trouble. I think, though, on the demand side, it, while our industry is not recession-proof, nothing is, mm -hmm. We're about as recession-proof as you can get. And I don't necessarily mean from a demand. So, for example, look at this new regulation that the SEC is floating around the four-day – what's the – they have a term – they have a name for it. But it seems like it's going to go into law in the next 12 to 18 months. And it's going to require all public companies to disclose a breach within yep. four days. Mm -hmm. See, I can't even say it without laughing. How many companies right. know they've been breached within four days? I mean, think about this. And now the SEC is going to put in a penalty that if you don't report with it, and then you look at all the different privacy regulations, the new EU privacy regulation. Australia has a new privacy regulation. I love to think that everybody loves security as much as I do. And I love to think that the CEO of every enterprise company wakes up every day and says, how can I spend more money on cyber? But the reality is 50% of the spend in our space is compliance-driven. Yeah. And we have to ask ourselves, is there more regulation coming or less regulation? Mm -hmm. And there is definitely more regulation coming. And a tightening economy where there's more competition, the last thing you want to do is be offside. So I'm... As confident as I can be about the macro conditions of demand in our space. Yeah, I think, Robert, you highlight what we, we're hearing from our CISOs, right? From our CISO advisory board and others. They're not necessarily getting more money, but they're not losing money. Budgets will probably stay pretty flat initially. They're looking for consolidation moves where they can start to consolidate around their vendors. What, 60 to 70 security vendors most organizations Crazy. have, right? And so they see this as an opportunity to kind of consolidate around certain technology areas, get more efficient, but they're not seeing budgets necessarily drop. They're just seeing them kind of stay stagnant. That's an opportunity for players in the market that have done a really good job. Um, you know, I, I look at companies like Qualys, right? I know Symmetricar really well. I was almost there for three years. They've been profitable in the market from day one. Philippe's vision behind how he drove that company was profitability from day one. Right. The, yeah, they didn't get the growth at all costs, but they've always been able to turn a profit. Do companies like that really get to accelerate now in an environment because they've done so well on the profitability side to now pick up really interesting technologies and force some of this consolidation down? Because I could see those players well, being in a really good position. So, yes. Yes. I think if you're profitable, even though we talked about the credit markets contracting and you're not going to be able to raise money, the amount of money at the private equity 
world is not going anywhere. It's still there. It's, it's not less of a pile. It's just it's going to be directed to a more selective group, meaning if you are profitable and you are growing and your margins are high, then you'll be able to raise the money you need for acquisition. So we're in our business very bullish about what's happening because we think valuations are going to come down, which is going to give us the opportunity, just like Wallace, to make more acquisitions. I think the other interesting point about what you bring up, Matt, is 60, 70 products. How do people keep up? My view is that we're, we're turning a pivot point or a corner in the market where the value of the people that make the tools will be slightly less than the people who can help you manage them and service them. Now, what I'm telling you is a little bit self-serving because I own a services company, but I do believe that companies are saying 60, 70, do I really need a 70 first or do I need somebody to service and manage all those tools? Mm -hmm. So I think that's becoming a driver, but I think the other one that people won't talk about as much is the um, Uber CISO event that recently happened. The CISO going to jail for not disclosing. I mean, if we think about it, I believe that we're going to look back on that as a seminal event, Mm -hmm. just like we looked at the target breach. So now I'm a CEO of a company and I'm like, holy crap, Uber tech company didn't disclose properly. And sure, the guy had some culpability and they could have done it differently. But if I'm a CEO, one of my main job is to make sure my company doesn't get in trouble and manage risk. What's the best way to manage risk is to get somebody else to do it. So why am I doing all the security in-house? Should I not be using a managed services provider to help me alleviate some of that breach? And so we think, I mean, obviously we're in that business, so you know, I don't mean to plug ourselves, but I do think you're going to see that those values really increase. And so does, thought, does that mean that... Oh, go ahead, Tyler. Go ahead, no, no, go ahead. Gosh, say, you guys are so nice to each other. By the way, we have Richard Branson on Shark Tank one time. So he comes out for filming. And, you know, if you've ever seen our show, we just talk and talk. We talk over each other. I mean, it's organized chaos. So Richard Branson comes out. He's on there for filming for half a day. Doesn't say a word. So the producers come up to me and say, Robert, I don't know what's going on. It's Richard Branson. Ask him what's going on. So I take him out for lunch. I'm like, Richard. You know, like, what's going on? He's like, Robert, I don't understand. I begin to speak and everybody talks over me. I'm not used to that. So I just want to call out how nice and polite you guys are to each other. We've been doing this together a little while. so. No, I'm curious. I'm curious from the standpoint of of the services providers and products, the products that are, are doing well, the products that actually add value, and the, the MSPs of the world, they're going to be having better partnerships, more strategic partnerships with those companies doing good work. So does that start to weed out a lot of the smoke and mirrors and some of the really bad tech that we've seen and, and even some of the buzzwords that we've seen? Do we start to see that progression and the business-to-business or partnerships begin to be leveraged in a much, much more meaningful way? A hundred percent, Tyler. I think you've got, you've got – I mean the unique thing about our industry – is there are so many niches. 
Like, how many niches are there? You know, there's a SIM. Well, then there's a logging tool. Then there's an analytics tool. Then there's a tool that helps you take in logs into your logging tool. They get, like, what's that called? And then there's Exabeam, who's this and that. And then there's a identity. Uh, uh, like, how many niches are there? And I think eventually people get tired of it. And what happens is the ones that are more critical, that add more value, start leaving the other ones behind. Mm-hmm. And from a services perspective, I need a certain amount of logs or alerts from your environment to be consistent, to be clear, to get me the data that I need. And so some of those nuances become less important because the service providers who have the experience are doing it for you. And I think eventually customers get to a point where they say, yeah, you know, there's something that does the other 2% better, but is the other 2% worth an entire new budget, an entire new team to put it in? And I think we're entering the phase where, no, it doesn't. Yeah. And, and Robert, I think, I think that takes the service provider to the next level as well. Because in order for the service provider to be successful, you need to become a business partner, right? You can't just be transactional and be successful. We've seen the SimSock service provider. We've seen all that. I think the new age is becoming a business partner, understanding the business, being able to align to the business, being able to work with the business, and becoming that long-term business partner. Is that where you see the managed service provider space going to be more valuable? Yes. For sure. I think that the value conversation is really key. But interestingly, Jason, what's happening in that market is the market is growing so quickly that the market is looking for clarity. So if if we were on this call a year ago, I would have said to you, one of the advantages we have is we're a managed service provider, but we also do professional services, product, and identity. But what the market is telling me now is we find that confusing. If you're a managed service provider, we want you to be a managed service provider. Because from a valuation perspective, we want to compare you to other managed service providers. And if you're an integrator, we want you to be an integrator Mm -hmm. because we want to compare you to other integrators. So it's not a solution set from a customer perspective. It's more of a market reality that's happening. Interesting. So, Robert, you were talking about, you know, outsourcing to service providers. I've seen this script play before. Um, Early days of Sarbanes-Oxley, we did a lot of third-party outsourcing in the financials. And the regulators came in and said, yes, you can outsource the function, but not the risk. And I think the challenge we still have in this industry is, we're not really measuring risk. We're still measuring things like incidents and response times. We're not measuring risk. And my fear is, yes, I could outsource to a managed service provider. And I I think that is, is strategic for a lot of organizations. But as an entity, I still have to understand the risks associated with all of my data and where it's at. Are we mature enough yet as an industry to really have the risk conversation at the business level, at the, at the board level, or do we still I, – I still think we have a ways to go. I think we, we, yeah. ha, we lack the risk maturity still. So baby steps. I think we're at baby steps. I think a year ago we weren't even at the crawling stage. Now the, you know, the baby's crawling and it's about to walk. 
it's very early days. By the way, Matt, I, I don't like using the word outsource for exactly the point that you said. When, when, when my competitors use the word outsource, what I worry about the companies here, I'm giving the responsibility of risk to somebody else. One of the things I always say to customers is, I will never know your business like you know your business. So while I can do some of the functions, the tier one, the SOC, the alerting, the analysis, the threat, I can, I'm confident I can make your security systems and process better than most enterprises can. What I can't do better is tell you where the risk is. So it's more about have you as a company done, did everything in your power to alleviate the risk? Meaning, are you using a provider as a partner to do that, some of the SOC services, but the applications, the core data that you need that's integral to you, that's something you'll never be able to outrisk. I mean, never say never, but it's going to be, we're a long way away from that. Yeah, agreed. Um, I'm curious, what do we see over the next year, right? We're going into an interesting time. We're getting ready to go into the midterms. Um, we've got high inflation from a macro level. How long does this last? Are, are we in this slog for a year, year and a half, two years? Does, do things start to loosen up next year in the second half? Like, what, do, what are you seeing? Because I think it's a really interesting time for a lot of organizations. And I'm just curious, like, when do things get better? Or, or are we in so, this for a while? It's a great question. Very topical. So Apex, who's our equity partner, just had their annual conference where they brought in all their portfolio companies, big bankers and people like that. And I went into that, that was in Madrid last week. And I went into that thinking, to your point, next summer, spring, we're out of this. I left realizing it's probably going to be two to three years. Mm. This, What's unique about this recession that we've never seen before is the lag time to different markets. So the capital markets were the first to realize things are going bad, partly because interest rates started to go up so quickly. Private markets are only now coming to that realization. Credit markets only now realizing that. Guess who hasn't realized that yet? The consumer. This is one of the longest gaps between economic slowdown to consumer spending that we've ever seen in a cycle like this. And why is that? Consumers have lots of stimulus money and they're living off their savings. But that's not sustainable. Some European countries are already seeing double-digit interest rates. And I think we're gonna, we may see the same thing in North America. So somebody buying, a, like anybody who's buying anything on credit, their payments are going to double or more in the next 12 months. It's going to take a while for that to work its way through the system. And I think the one thing we've seen, which surprised me, honestly, was how aggressive the, the federal governments are in pushing down inflation, trying to push down inflation. Right. I think we're going to see another 75-point basis point increase in the next announcement. And then I think we're going to see it again mm -hmm. and potentially one or two more times. So I, I, I don't know if it's going to be two, three years, but 
we're going to be like this for a while. Yeah, and it, we, we predicted the same thing last week. I think at a 75 basis point in November and December, one of my colleagues said, no, nah, it's going to be a full point in December. We'll see. I, I have them on the record. Maybe. It could right? be, it, right? If we don't see yeah. these rates come down. And and I, I've told a lot of colleagues, you know, people ask me like, you know, how long can this be? I was, I'm like, guys, we've never seen an environment like this. We can't print money like we did in 08. Quantitative easing is not, because it only makes the inflation uh, scenario even worse. And so, you know, I think realizing that we're in this for potentially a couple of years is important for leaders out there to understand based on where their business is, what do they need to continue to do to be prepared? And what do new startups in this space need to do to be better prepared? Because okay. there is still growth opportunity, but it's going to be at a different valuation. It's going to be a lot harder to raise money than we've ever seen, at least in the last 15 I, years. Matt, I think the best one of my friends said to me, it took us we basically had 15 or more years of untempered, crazy growth. Why do we think this is all going to unwind in six to eight months? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's never going to happen. By the way, I don't want to leave anybody the impression that I'm not bullish on growth. I highly optimistic. I'm highly bullish on growth. I just think it's going to be different, right? Like I think it's, we're, a word that was not sexy for a really long time has now become the Giselle Buchan of the security world. And that word is EBITDA. EBITDA, thy name is Giselle. And all of a sudden, you've become a supermodel. EBITDA was like the, you know, the cousin that nobody wanted to dance with at the dance. Now, all of a sudden, EBITDA is the super hot model that everybody uh, wants to date. And I, and I think that there's going to be trust opportunity. You just can't expect to grow a business with absolutely no path to profitability. Like you don't have to be profitable, but you have to have a reasonable path to profitability. How, how do people come into play with inside of this growth time? How do we retain the talent? How do we attract new talent? How do we keep that hopeless optimism with inside of our organizations to continue that growth and, and start with the people? Well, I, I think the biggest problem we have in cyber is we're playing musical chairs. Like, I'm not losing people in my cyber company to a furniture company. Like, it's not like people are waking up and saying, oh, I'm getting out of cyber. Cyber sucks. They're just going to a competitor. And guess where I'm hiring people from? A competitor. So it's like we're all hiring the same people from the same pool. It's just they keep shifting around. And I, I think that it's been a great time to be an employee or somebody in the cyber business because you've made more money. But I think inevitably we have to run a business because consumers, the down, what's going to happen is this downturn is you can't keep raising rates. Like eventually there's only so much I can charge a customer per hour to pass on some of that cost. And so I think you're going to see a slowdown. What I'm hoping for is that slowdown in rising rates at the customer level and pricing will reverberate all the way down to hopefully less churn and people staying at jobs slightly longer. 
Yes. Do you, do you think there's something that we can be doing as an industry to help promote cybersecurity? I mean, so from my perspective, you know, he, here in Rhode Island, I make sure that I'm involved with the Rhode Island Department of Education. I'm, I'm, I'm involved with the CTE board. I, I even go and I help the Girl Scouts promote cybersecurity to get more women in cybersecurity and help them get their badges. You know, and I, I'm a firm believer that as a leader, if we're sitting back saying, you know, we don't have enough cybersecurity experts out there. We got to put some skin in the game to help change that. So what can we be doing as businesses to help promote that? I've, I, you know, I've talked about apprenticeship programs and just, you know, reinvesting back into the workforce so we can build more cybersecurity talent out there. What, what do you see out there in the industry for that? I, I actually think we've come a long way from where we were. And I think a lot of companies are doing good work and, you know, we do the same thing. We, I, I think, Step one is being more inclusive. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's just a given. I mean, you're you're helping with we're helping with women in cyber. We highly promote, and there isn't enough of that. But the other thing is just got to be cognizant about it's going to take time. I mean, we're we're not the you know exciting course most women go to at university, or most guys go to even. Mm-hmm. So I I just think. We're all doing a better job of that. But I think the other thing is immigration. Like, a, I mean, if you think about an industry where you can get a job and basically have a guarantee of employment for your lifetime is something that we, we all in cyber have kind of become used to. But somebody immigrating here, that is the friggin' golden dream. Like leaving a country where there's political instability you don't know if you're going to have a job. You don't know if you're going to be able to, you know, support your family. And you can come here and fast track your way into an industry where you're basically guaranteed employment for the rest of your life to take care of your family. Man, that's the golden ticket. So I think anything we can do to encourage immigration along that line, uh, we should be doing. I love that. That's awesome. Robert, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us on Business Security Weekly. Thanks for having me. Three politest guys in cyber in the world. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and then cover the leadership and communications articles for this week. Hey, 